Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank. Our analysts do a deep dive of data that came out last week and what to expect. China macro, GDP growth in Malaysia, Indonesian trade numbers, REITs in Thailand and Malaysia and crude palm oil prices. Chua Bin, our co-head of macro, speaks with our teams across the region. Hey, hi, good morning. It's uh, Monday, 18 September. Just a quick recap of last week. U.S. tech stocks were slightly weaker, even as positive Chinese economic data sparked a recovery in Asian markets. Taiwan TSMC, the world's largest chipmaker, asked its major suppliers to delay the delivery of high-end chipmaking equipment. The sentiments boasted uh, in Asian markets by official data from China, showing that retail sales and industrial production rising by more than expected in August. We will have Erica later to comment. The ECB raised the deposit rate on Thursday last week to 4%, the highest point in ever since the euro's existence. But the euro dropped by almost 1% against the US dollar, as the economy is expect, feeling the strain from tighter policy and impact from weaker Chinese demand on German manufacturing. And generally, the markets do not believe the ECB will raise rates further, even as ECB President Lagarde tried to remain hawkish. Uh, this week, uh, we will have several uh, key central bank meetings in focus, notably the US Fed, Bank of England, and Bank of Japan. And all eyes pretty much on FOMC this, this Thursday. Uh, we're looking for the Fed to maintain the funds rate at 5.25% to 5.5% in line with the markets. The Fed chair is expected to maintain a balanced tone. But note, however, the recent CPI readings showed a larger than expected 0.3% monthly rise in core inflation and some acceleration in the headline as well. So I presume another rate hike cannot be ruled out later in the year. Of particular interest will be the updated dot plots with 2023 still likely to reflect one more 25 bits rate hike. Further out into next year, the Fed dot plots may show about 75 bips of rate cuts in 2024. Bank of England is expected to hike by 25 bips at the Thursday meeting, bringing the bank rate to 5.5%. The Bank of Japan on Friday this week may lay the groundwork for faster than expected normalization in its ultra-easy monetary policy. Recent remarks from Governor Ueda has driven Japan's 10-year government bond yields to a fresh nine-year high. In ASEAN, um, some data as well. Singapore will be releasing the non-all domestic exports out today, which may provide some guidance on the trade and tech export recovery. On Thursday this week, the Indonesian and Philippine central banks will be holding their policy meetings. We're looking for both to hold. Um, and on Friday, Singapore and Malaysia both releasing the August inflation data. Uh, which should perhaps capture some of the recent increase in commodity prices. Today, we have Erica on China macro, Zamros on Malaysian GDP estimates, Brian on Indian exports and retail sales, Andy on his bullish views on the Thai bot, Wasu on his upgrade on Thailand's REIT sector, Shifa on the second quarter earnings wrap for Malaysia's REIT, and cheating on the plantation sector. Um, Erica. China released several August data points on Friday last week, including retail sales, fixed asset investment, and industrial production. Retail sales seems to have recovered and came in much better than expected. Are you surprised at the stronger numbers in August? And which items are driving the recovery? Morning, Hapin. Uh, so what are the rare pieces of good news to come out from China in August um, was the stabilization of retail sales growth. Uh, retail sales grew by 4.6%. Uh, it was up uh, from 2.5% in July. 
so sales of communications devices picked up, probably fueled by major product releases. Sales of autos also accelerated as EV brands engaged in a price war to win market share. And um, restaurant dining grew by a decent, if slower, pace of 12%. So what really stands out is that retail sales have stopped falling in month-on-month -month terms, so they have reached a floor. Um, the big question uh, is over how sustainable the consumption recovery is given uh, signs of broad weakness in the job market that we've been hearing about. So um, this um, retail um, recovery bears watching. Back to you, Hakbin. Okay, industrial production also came in better than expected for August, while fixed asset investment was a bit sluggish. So what's driving the manufacturing recovery? And what do you think this numbers imply for the third quarter of GDP growth for China? So industrial production strengthened to 4.5% in August. Um, again, this was driven primarily by autos. So autos are uh, emerging as a big theme that's uplifting the economic outlook for China. Um, it's not certain uh, if this will go on. So we're closely watching how sustainable this boom is given the pushback in Europe uh, against China's EV global dominance. Um, as for uh, fixed asset investment, uh, yes, so it's still uh, slightly uh, deteriorating with real estate investment uh, falling more sharply in August than in July. Um, we need to emphasize, though, that uh, the slew of government measures uh, that were uh, introduced to support the housing market were only rolled out um, towards the end of August and early September. So the impact is not likely to be felt um, in the August data and we'll be closely um, watching September data to give us a clearer picture. On uh, GDP growth, well, we expect uh, the July and August data um, to continue um, strengthening um, in the following month. And we expect this to bring GDP growth at around 4% year-on-year in Q3. Right, thanks, Erica. Uh, Zamros, I think you released some estimates for the monthly July GDP growth for Malaysia. And after the rather soft and disappointing second quarter GDP growth um, of just 2.9%, are there tentative signs that growth will be recovering in the third quarter for Malaysia? Uh, hi, morning, uh, Habib. Uh, morning, uh, everyone. Yeah, looking at the uh, three major items that we use uh, to estimate the monthly GDP, uh, there are some uh, indicative signs that uh, we are seeing improvement in terms of the uh, monthly indicators. Uh, firstly, the industrial production index actually uh, uh, grew uh, positive 0.7% uh, in July is a reversal from uh, a negative 2.2% uh, contraction in June. Uh, secondly, the crude palm oil uh, output uh, actually uh, rebounded uh, with a positive 2.3% year-on-year expansion in July from negative 6.3% uh, contraction in June. And finally, the distribution uh, trade index uh, was firmer at 5.4% uh, growth in the uh, July from uh, just 3.1% uh, in June. So incorporating uh, all these three items, the IPI, uh, crude palm oil output, and also distribution trade index, uh, we estimate that the uh, monthly GDP for July for Malaysia is at 2.4% year-on-year, uh, similar to the, uh, the pace uh, in June. Uh, 
uh, and bear in mind that these three items uh, comprise about 52.5% of uh, Malaysia's GDP. So in, in that sense, uh, we continue to see uh, low single-digit uh, growth uh, in, in, in the third quarter of this year, uh, uh, partly uh, due to the base effect, uh, because the economy actually expanded 14.1% uh, year-on-year in the third quarter of uh, last year. Uh, mainly because of the uh, full economic uh, opening impact uh, during that uh, quarter. Now, looking in details uh, for the IPI, uh, the mining index actually uh, rebounded with the 4.2% uh, uh, expansion uh, from uh, contraction of negative 6.4% uh, in, in June. Uh, manufacturing uh, posted uh, a smaller uh, decline of just negative 0.2%. Uh, in, in July from negative uh, 1.6% contraction in June, uh, but uh, electricity uh, slightly smaller growth as just 1.5% year on year in, June, in July from 2.8% uh, uh, in June. Uh, as for the uh, distribution trade index, uh, the uh, motor vehicle trade uh, posted a huge uh, improvement uh, with a 20.4% uh, growth uh, from just 3% uh, in June. Uh, and then we have the wholesale trade index uh, also expanded at 6.6% uh, in July from 4.5% in June. Uh, but the retail trade uh, was just steady at 2.7% in July from 2.5% uh, in June. Uh, Habin. Zamar, just remind us, um, when do you think growth will recover more decisively? I mean, what's your full year growth forecast? Yeah, with, with the uh, first half growth uh, uh, for this year, just 4.2% uh, year-on-year, and the uh, expectation of continued global economic slowdown this year, uh, we are looking at uh, Malaysia's full-year growth at just uh, 4%, which is uh, a lot lower than the 8.7% uh, that uh, we had for the full year of uh, 2022. But we think that uh, there's going to be uh, limiting factors to the downside to the second half growth for this year, uh, firstly, being the uh, we expect there's going to be continued uh, ongoing uh, tourism recovery. Uh, secondly, uh, the uh, positive uh, investment growth momentum, whereby we saw the surge in approved private investment, uh, private sector investment since uh, 2021, now translating into rising actual or realized uh, private investment. And thirdly, uh, with the progress in the uh, ongoing major infrastructure uh, projects, uh, which means that we we expect to see a uh, pickup in growth momentum only in the first half of uh, next year. Uh, Habib. Okay, thanks, Amras. Uh, Brian, Indonesia released exports data for August, which showed the contraction deepening. So what's driving the contraction and should we be worried that Indonesia could see growth slowing sharply in the coming quarters? Hey, morning, Harpin. Morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, so indeed, uh, in August, the contraction in export values uh, deepened to 21.2% on a year-ago basis compared to 18% in July. So the main reason for the deeper decline is cost lower prices of top commodity exports like coal and palm oil compared to a year ago. Um, palm oil exports were the main driver, um, falling 35% year-on-year compared to 24%. Uh, in July, even though uh, shipments rose to its highest level since October 2022, um, coal imports was uh, coal exports were also a large drag, falling 44% year on year, extending their 43% decline in July 
Uh, that said, one important point to note is that the deeper year-on-year contraction was entirely due to unfavorable base effects. On a month-on-month basis, exports in fact rose 5.5% to the highest level since March 2023 as prices stabilized for most major commodities. In addition, export volumes remain relatively resilient compared to export values. Uh, for instance, uh, demand for Indonesia's palm oil remains supported by widening discount to um, alternative vegetable oils like soy oil and sun oil as the prices of rival oils have risen due to production concerns in the US and also disruptions to Black Sea supplies. Uh, India and China have been ramping up palm oil imports as uh, prices fall and uh, prices become more affordable. Um, Furthermore, China's coal import demand has been rising strongly this year as power consumption rises and um, domestic output of coal and hydropower is constrained by bad weather. Uh, in July, for instance, which is the, uh, I guess, uh, the, the, the other, I mean, the other point to note, I think, uh, is that um, is that export uh, volumes are more resilient than export values for Indonesia. Uh, so in July, for instance, which is the latest month of data, export volumes fell just 0.1% from a year ago, compared to an 18% plunge in export values. And we think that uh, it's likely that... Uh, uh, continue to remain the case in August. So taking all these factors together, I think it's likely that exports will remain a drag on GDP growth in the third quarter. But I don't think that this will lead to a sharp slowdown in growth, given that the export volumes, uh, which matter more for GDP growth, are comparatively resilient. Uh, and uh, what's more, the export contraction may narrow from September as commodity prices stabilize and base effects turn more favorable. Back to you, Harpin. So Brian, how are the retail sales for Indonesia doing in August? What are the retail items that are you know, slowing any bright spots in any of the retail items? Yeah, so according to the BI's preliminary estimates, uh, real retail sales grew 1.3% from a year ago in August, which was the slowest growth in three months. In addition, I think it's quite notable that July's print was revised down significantly to 1.6% year-on-year from 6.3% previously. Um, On a month-on-month basis, retail sales inched up by 0.5% following a nearly 9% plunge in the previous month, which BI had attributed to the end of the June school holidays. Uh, As for the weak spots, I think cultural and recreation was the main weak spot, falling nearly 10% from a year ago, compared to around 2% in July. Um, And sales of fuels, household appliances, and stationery and communication also fell from a year ago. Uh, But nonetheless, I think uh, F&B and uh, apparel sales are still uh, comparatively resilient. Uh, They continue to be about 4% and 7% higher than a year ago as respectively okay just quickly bank indonesia will be holding their policy meeting this thursday um, what are you expecting yeah so i'm expecting bi to keep its policy rate unchanged at the peak of 5.75 uh, percent um i mean even though inflation has uh, fallen into uh within bi's target range but uh, currency pressure continues to limit its leeway to reduce uh, rates great thanks brian andy you released an ASEANX report on Thai baht regaining its resiliency. So what are the main arguments for your bullish view on the Thai baht? Hi, uh, morning, happy morning, everyone. Um, indeed, I think we think that the Thai baht will recover its uh, resilient outperformer position. In the near term, though, uh, I think a major turn- turnaround for the Thai baht, um, we feel in near term, in the next few weeks or next months, is still difficult to see. Uh, given that the country will probably still need more time to rebuild its tourism position uh, in addition to markets. But we have 
sort of a few points or reasons, uh, like uh, like you asked, in the medium term, that could see potential for Taibat to recover its uh, status. First is the tourism inflows. Uh, it could exceed uh, pre-pandemic levels. Uh, as it stands, I think the three-month rolling average in July 2023 for foreign arrivals still stands at 65% of December 2019 levels. Uh, but the first few reasons actually to be optimistic about these numbers going forward is that first, uh, Thailand has actually achieved such a number whilst the three-month rolling average of China arrivals still stands at 41%. Uh, this implies a high level of tourism interest in Thailand post-pandemic uh, compared to pre-pandemic. Uh, and there are a few others in terms of per capita spending alone and all that going up as well, and we're positive on that front. Second is the government pro-growth policies uh, likely to boost equity inflows. Uh, the possibility of a strong equity inflows uh, given the formation of, a, of the so-called um, more business-friendly Thai-led government. I think over the last decade, portfolio equity inflows have generally not been strong. Uh, we, we note that the new government is likely to push for more pro-growth and economic support-related policies. This can be a huge boost for inflows into Thai equities given that the equity markets can react well to the prospects of economic stimulus. So we see possibility of that giving a lift. The third one is uh, potential FDI pickup. Um, Thailand FDI has not shown any uh, discernible upward trend actually over the years uh, because of the political instability. But the new government uh, is a coalition of both conservative and non-conservative parties. So there's a chance of more political stability. So higher, prob higher probability of uh, political stability going forward, we think uh, that could assuage uh, investor concern and it could probably coax them to uh, return and give a lift to the Thai but. So I think the pro-growth policy angle on FDI, the, the fourth point is goal. We see goal uh, potentially to provide more support. I think the relationship between Thai baht and gold prices and export levels have actually held up reasonably well. So that's that's a positive. And we think uh, because of Thailand's role as a hub uh, in the OTC for Asian markets should help uh, support Thai baht. The last point is in, essentially a bit more broad, the ASEAN Digital Master Plan. Uh, we think Thailand will benefit the most in terms of real-time uh, payments. The data shows that um, the real-time uh, adoption of real-time payments uh, in Thailand is actually quite high and I think the most dominant in Asia, in ASEAN actually. So it places Thailand in a good position to reap benefits together with the tourist arrivals in terms of infrastructure, cross-border digital payments as well. So uh, we, we think those are the reasons of the four or five that could support in the medium term uh, going forward. Hapme? So only remind us on your Thai BART forecast for the end of this year and next and what kind of uh, risks or surprises could derail your bullish uh, type of view? Yeah, so our, uh, our forecast for end of this year is 34.75. Um, we think that together with the dollar sort of softness, mild softness sort of story towards the end of the year uh, adds on to the sum of our view in the medium term for Thai baht, uh, should push it down to 34.75. End of next, end of 2024, we're looking at a stronger Thai baht against the dollar at about 32.50. Um, and then beyond that, uh, we have a fair value that we shared in our piece. Uh, we think that the fair value for Thai Baht is closer around the 30 to 31 level. So we might see a 5 uh, Thai Baht uh, move down from the current levels of 35.75 or so to those levels. The risk to our view, um, we highlight a few in our piece. Um, essentially, if US inflation re-accelerates uh, uh, strongly leading to more tightening, that could actually weigh on Thai Baht. Uh, so we assign a low likelihood for that. Second is, I think the main thing is the fiscal deterioration out of uh, uh, the government's uh, populist measures, uh, raises concerns of rising fiscal deficits uh, and also increase the Thai sovereign supply. So the government has recently increased the borrowing outlay from 3.35 trillion baht uh, to, to 3.48 trillion baht. So I think those are a bit of a concern 
Um, so we are not expecting any downgrade in the ratings just yet. Uh, that could greatly impact appetite for currency and bonds in the medium term, uh, long term. So we're still looking at it as risk uh, in our view. So those are the two sort of main ones. Uh, Habib, thanks. Okay, thanks, Ali. Uh, Wasu, you upgraded the Thai REIT sector to positive. What are the main reasons for the upgrade? Hi, good morning. So we currently cover uh, three names uh, in Thailand under the REITs and infra fund sector, CPN REIT, DIF, and JASIF. And these three names have shown positive total returns during a period when interest rate was stable. So in, in figure one in my report, I show you that the total returns, uh, meaning capital gain plus dividend yields, have been uh, significantly positive uh, from January 2021 to August 2022. That that was when the central bank's uh, interest rate in Thailand has been stable at 0.5%. On the other hand, when the rates were rising in figure two, uh, all three names have negative total returns due to the uh, capital loss offsetting the dividend yields. So now, uh, Coming back to the present days, uh, we actually, May Bank's economist, Erica, uh, and, and, and her team expect the interest rate to, uh, to be stable in the upcoming meeting on the 27th September. And that is mainly because, number one, interest, uh, inflation rate in Thailand has been below 1% since May. Number two, uh, the second quarter GDP growth came out to be weaker than expected. So with inflation rates under control and GDP not so strong, uh, our economists expect uh, the, the interest rate to be stable going forward. And stable rates are, of course, positive for the yield plays, the infra funds and REITs in Thailand. And for these three uh, names that we cover in particular, uh, we expect CPN REIT, DIF, and JASIF to offer 10% dividend yields over the next 10 years, uh, especially for CPN read, the 10% the yield could, could last at, uh, over 10 years uh, to, to around 12 years. And the IRR, uh, which take into account the leasehold lives of, of the assets, the IRR are healthy for the three names. Like the IRR for CPN read is 8%, for DAF is almost 10%, and for JSIF is around 7%. So we, we have buy ratings on CPN read and DIF, and we have a whole rating on JSIF. Yeah, so so basically the stable rates should be positive for, for the for the REIT sector. That's why we upgrade the outlook to positive. Great, thanks, Wasu. You're um, welcome. Shifa, uh, you have a report out on the Malaysian REITs. Um, what are the main takeaways for the second quarter earnings results? Any positive or negative surprises? Hi, good morning. Uh, most of MREITs under our coverage uh, second quarter Cornet profits were in line, six out of nine. The sector's uh, second quarter revenue increased 13% year on year, uh, largely contributed by higher occupancies and strong rental growth uh, from retail and hospitality assets. Uh, occupancy rose year-on-year year for the subsectors uh, led by hospitality. Rental reversion uh, was positive, high single-digit for retail assets under Sunway REIT and mid-single-digit uh, for IGB REIT, Pavilion REIT and uh, CLMT. However, uh, 
Second quarter combined uh, core net profit only grew by 1.6% year on year, uh, mainly dragged by higher utilities and finance costs. Uh, distributions for the quarter or first half uh, calendar year two three were mainly in line as well with uh, YTL re recorded the strongest uh, year on year gross DPU growth of 112% on the back of uh, normalization of uh, rental uh, after the end of the rental deferral program for its uh, master leases. Srifa, which ones are your top three Malaysian uh, REIT picks and why? Our top buy is YTL REIT, uh, which offers highest uh, yield and earnings growth uh, prospect from its uh, Australian hotels, supported by resilient earnings from its asset in Malaysia and Japan. Uh, meanwhile, we have uh, other buys of Pavilion REIT and Axis REIT. Uh, Pavilion REIT is expected to largely backed by Pavilion KL, attributed by its uh, prime location. Uh, with growth coming from Pavilion Bukit Jalil from third quarter this year onwards. Uh, we continue to favour Exist Read uh, from Active Asset Acquisition Strategy for its industrial properties uh, with ongoing development of Exist uh, Mega DC2 to provide earnings growth upside from uh, first quarter next year onwards. Great, thanks Shifa. Uh, cheating for the palm oil sector, what are your key takeaways from this August stockpile and export data? And what do you think this means for palm oil prices for the rest of the year? Morning, Harbing. Uh, morning, everyone else. Um, so the August stockpile was a big surprise to the market as it surpassed the market estimates by around 11%. The August stockpile was 23% higher compared to a month ago to 2.12 million tons, underpinned by a strong seasonal production recovery of about 1.75 million tons. Now, August production was 9% higher compared to a month ago and 2% higher compared to a year ago. The key surprise was the weak exports, which failed to keep up with uh, output growth momentum. Exports for the month of August were just 1.22 million tons, 10% lower than a month ago and even 6% lower than a year ago. So to make matters worse, the prelim export estimates for the shipments out of Malaysia for the first 10 days of um, September by two independent cargo surveyors showed further weakness in terms of demand by down by you know coming down 20% and 11% respectively for the first 10 days of uh, September. Now the weak exports contrast with our expectation of strong production. Uh, prospects uh, for September and also October, which implies that stockpile may continue to climb in the month of September if exports do not pick up uh, for the remaining of the month. So what does this mean for palm oil price? Uh, we continue to expect CPO price to remain under price pressure for the rest of the second half of this year. And this is also despite concerns over potential El Nino impact on output which as we highlighted in the past, El Nino has a lag impact on output, which is likely only to be felt in the second quarter of next year at the earliest, if any. Thus far, uh, weather has been relatively favorable for most of the oil palm producing regions, especially uh, in Malaysia and the northern part of South Sumatra, uh, sorry, northern part of Sumatra Island. However, there are some hotspots recorded in South Sumatra and parts of Kalimantan, 
but nowhere near the peak of the previous major El Nino experience in 2015. Still, uh, you know, this dry season will continue and last until the end of October. So in short, uh, we maintain our 2023 CPO ASP forecast of uh, 3,700 ringgit per ton as CPO price needs to stay competitive in the near term uh, to help stimulate demand amid uh, our anticipated strong output recovery in the second half of this year. Chitin, remind us of your top three buys in the plantation sector. Sure, our top three buys in the plantation sectors are uh, first resources, Bumitama Agri and Ta'an uh, Holdings. They, they basically share a common uh, theme. They are all three attractively valued and high dividend yielders. Uh, these stocks are really underappreciated, trading at sing just single digit PERs and offer dividend yields of above 5%. Great, thanks, Chitin. That's all we have today. To read our research reports, contact a trading rep at Maybank or access the reports on our trading platform. I'm Noel Limonazian Speaks by Maybank. Bank.